Hello and welcome to Life of the School, episode 123. My name is Aaron Matthew, and I'm a biology teacher from Massachusetts. And on this episode of Life of the School, we're going to continue with our summer series of uh, not really following format. And today we're going to discuss uh, how we remove or reduce grades from our classroom. Um, And so joining me for this conversation is regular panelist Lee Ferguson from Texas. Welcome, Lee. Hello. And also joining us. Hello. hello. Also joining us from Washington State is Johanna Brown. Welcome, Johanna. Hello. Um, yeah, and I'm excited to be here. And t- two quick things. I'm technically in Idaho. Oh. I teach in Washington, but live in Idaho. And then Johanna rhymes with Montana. Johanna rhymes with Montana. I'm going to get that right. Aha, that's a good way. Yeah. It's all good. We're, I'm going to get it wrong like seven times in here, and I'll just go edit myself out later on and fix it. <laughs> <laughs> Love it. This is summer, so I'm actually planning on doing as little editing as I can possibly get away with on the podcast. <laughs> <laughs> All right. So uh, this is this is going to continue our conversation that um, that I know Lee and I have been having off and on, and um, uh, we also have our, our common friend Paul Strode, uh, who uh, I I believe I am referred to as a disciple mm-hmm. of Paul Strode and his pointless classroom, um, as my syllabus is a pretty much mere ripoff of Paul Strode's uh, conversation, um, and. Um, <laughs> And, and I also went to an ungrading workshop um, last winter. I don't remember what month you ran that. Um, I want to say it was maybe February? January. January? Well, there was were it... two. Oh, okay. Did you do the uh, small okay, yeah, one? Yeah, because you did the small one, Because there was one right? for a- by ACS, right? Like there was, uh-huh. that was the one that I went to was, or the, that I participated in was through the ACS. Yeah. And so, yeah, yeah in fact, because I... t- today I got an email from ACS saying, would you like to continue to hear from us? <laughs> and I'm like, I'm not a chemistry teacher, but hey, <laughs> I really only used you for this one thing. <laughs> yeah, I went to this. I went definitely went to the smaller one. Um, there was only about a yeah. dozen folks. Um, and you said that, mm-hmm. that was either January or February. Yeah, February. Yeah. Oh, and um, and it was just, uh, you know, and I had already done the, the workshop uh, at NABT with Paul on his pointless grading. And, and so we've been having this sort of like ongoing conversation. And then I texted Lee and I'm like, uh, <laughs> did, did you, uh, did you ever talk to Johanna? She's like, I'm in a workshop with her right now. Yep. Um, <laughs> you want me to ask her? Yeah, Cause we were in the middle, we were in the middle of stuff. I think it was last Thursday, wasn't it? Yeah. Yeah. It was your last Thursday or last Tuesday is one of those two days. And I was like, I'm actually in a workshop with her right now. <laughs> so this is, this is proof of uh, what I refer to as the Don Pinkerton uh, reference that there's only 30 biology teachers in Massachusetts because every workshop you go to, it's the same 30 teachers. There's only like a hundred science teachers the in the people. United States. And uh... <laughs> and we're all on Twitter. Yeah. We're all, yes. we're all on Twitter. We all know each other and we're all in workshops with one another. So whatever you go there. That's right. That's right. Um, yeah. Like I told my, I told my APSI crew yesterday, you know, my crew yesterday, I was like, look, you know, if you're the only teacher in your building that teaches or the only teacher in, in your building or in your district who teaches the subject, I said, you need a network. I said, and Twitter yeah. is a great way to build that network. I said, because some of the folks that I know in AP Bioland, 
I've met on Twitter, you know, and, and some of the science educators I follow, I found on Twitter. I said, there really is, you know, there really are some, some gems among the, the rocks, <laughs> you know, so to speak. And I said, you just have to look, yeah. you know, you yeah. just have to look. I said, I've learned a lot from the folks there, you know, so hopefully some of those, some of my, my people will take me up on, on that and, and get active on that platform. Yeah. But we'll yeah. see. And also we'll I, see what I that. often tell people is that it took me, it probably took me three attempts to figure out how I wanted to use social media. So, you know, as I, as we begin to dive into a conversation about the concept of iteration um, and how it's important mm. to students, it's also true for us as adults that if you hear from people who you respect that I have good professional conversations on this thing and you dive in and you're like, all I keep getting is retweets of Seth Rogen and all, you know, like, <laughs> and really like, like, <laughs> yes, it's funny, but I'm not, this is not helping me politically. Like, I don't know what's going on. Like, if you're confused, that's fine. You may need to have somebody help you out. But just because your first interaction mm -hmm. with something or your first impression of someplace, if you're getting that somebody is telling you something valuable, sometimes you have to take a fresh approach or ask questions to people like, all right, who do you follow? Um, and, and like, what is your network? And I know that I've gone through and reshaped who my following is, you know, who I, who I am paying attention to and which voices are, uh, the, uh, the edu celebrities, uh, and which ones of those are mm -hmm. not provide the, like, if I needed to make a poster, an inspirational poster that was vapid and didn't actually say anything about my practice, I know who I could follow. But if I want to get better <laughs> at my practice, there's a different group of people for that. And, um, it's, it's yeah. not an easy thing to dive in on, um, when you get in there. So, all right. Well, as I, as I had mentioned, this is, uh, this is a totally unscripted summer uh, thing. It's not, it is actually scripted. I do script these things out, but we are off the rails as <laughs> Lee and I are always, and, um, uh, <laughs> Johanna got it on with me and the two of us had a conversation. We were off and running and I was like, oh yeah, the, oh, the, yeah. we're going to be like, this is going to be, we're going to get to like three questions here. This is going to be fine. <laughs> 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 We're going to talk about a lot of different things, though, we promise. All right. Well, before we dive in, um, as the chemistry interloper, why don't you uh, give us a little background, um, aside from the fact that uh, Johanna uh, rhymes with Montana, uh, what what else other background can you tell? So who, who are you? Who do you teach? Where do you teach? Why don't you give us a little background about you uh, so we know who you are? Yeah, absolutely. So I teach at Pullman High School, which is a rural school um the nearest target for me is an hour and a half i think that's the best way to describe how rural i am um, but we are still in a university town um but there's there's a lot of farming there's some engineering there's the university a big mix of of people in our community um, and so my school high school is about 800 people and i teach chemistry ap chemistry and ap computer science and i until this upcoming year, I've been the only teacher of all of my classes. I've been, and I think that's why I like Twitter so much is I do love my colleagues. We have a great working relationship. We, we're being, we're getting really collaborative. We've hired some new people and it's awesome, but I've just kind of been that person out there trying new things and trying to figure out what works. And so uh, part of that is just, I've always been the weird grader. <laughs> I've been a progressive grader. I can't, I actually started teaching at a school in Indiana that was a, a diploma high school, but a charter school for adults who had either been expelled or who had withdrawn 
from their school. Um, so I think that really framed my thoughts about what a school is because we had lunch for everyone, we had childcare, um, and we were just focusing on that human's goals, mm -hmm. uh, not necessarily on are we getting, and I was teaching biology there, so I'm, I, I am an interloper, <laughs> but I do love biology. So that's kind of where I'm coming from. And, and just through the pandemic, uh, it really opened my eyes and, and made me make a bunch of changes that I think have really helped my students. Awesome. Awesome. So, so you gave us a little bit of that background. Um, and I, by the way, it sounds very much like you teach in a place like where I grew up because I grew up in Amherst, Massachusetts, which is a college town in Western Massachusetts, yes. which is like, it's a very, it's probably a little more liberal than, because it's more liberal than everywhere else on the planet. So I'm guessing that it's a little bit more liberal than, than Eastern Washington. Uh, but aside yeah. from the the politics of the location, um, it was basically, and I remember my wife who came out and went to UMass and she, I remember we were driving somewhere and somebody said, oh man, I, I you know, this place really is very rural. And I was like, what are you talking about? Because I grew up there and I'm like, it's, mm -hmm. I'm like, this is suburban. And she's like, suburban to what? <laughs> the cows? Because there's this, when there's a giant, because <laughs> there's a giant, there's a university there, which the university in many ways feels like a city. Uh, and uh -huh, so yeah. the stuff around it feels suburban to that. But in reality, there is the fact that I would go to school on the bus with kids who would bring eggs in for other kids on school. I guess that's a sign that you go to a rural school. I'm taking eggs to people tomorrow for my chickens. <laughs> yeah. Well, as we were saying, what, why don't we talk a little bit about how you started down your path towards ungrading? Because, um, you know, it's it's funny, you, you framed this around the start of the pandemic, but I think of you as like the the first one of the first people who ever pitched a workshop on ungrading. And maybe that's how knew this is there's like you're this like you're this old sage expert on ungrading that you've been you're you're the you're the veteran out of the group of us on this ungrading pathway uh that you came to this eons ago but but what is sort of your path to becoming this person who's running workshops or maybe not running uh leading discussions uh you know is maybe a better way yes. of framing it um hosting discussions mm -hmm. on ungrading maybe a more appropriate way but but how did you get to that part in your journey Okay. Yeah. And I don't purport to know everything. And I'm a big fan. Sometimes before I get into this, sometimes when things get a label, mm -hmm. we think it has to meet a certain standard to acquire that label. And I think ungrading is becoming this word that people believe has to fit a certain set of standards. And I would just like anybody listening to this to know that it doesn't <laughs> have to. Ungrading can mean whatever you want it to be. Um, and I'm very open to just saying teachers should do what is best for their students. And we all have different students at different years. And so your practice is going to change um, based on that. So I, I think sometimes I can get a little bit preachy <laughs> and evangelical about reducing bias in the classroom and ungrading. Um, but I really think that anyone should try what is going to work best for their students. So my journey of trying things I went, I went standards-based grading when I moved to Pullman High School. I read Sean Cornelly's blog, which he's since become an ungrader, um, but they were a great place for me to start. I wanted things to be clear. I, I'm a person with anxiety and some perfectionism, procrastination cycles. And so at least standards-based grading, I thought, was very clear. Students knew exactly what they needed to do. Great communication between us. Um, and I had this five through 10 score and no homework. and it just 
wasn't quite perfect. I moved to a mastery system or one or a zero. Mm-hmm. Um, and I had labs worth some point, kind of just work that you would normally do was worth maybe about half their grade just to support that. And students could turn that in at any time. Um, and then we got to last year in the spring when everyone went home and I was just begging students to just do anything. <laughs> and I was just thinking this, this seems like it's a right now problem an April, 2020 problem but it's based off of the system we're already in. And I think in about May, I thought I cannot do this anymore. Mm -hmm. And I want to decenter grades. We're having all these conversations about grades. We're wasting all this time when we could be talking about their learning and them as a human and having this great experience together. And we're just not doing that. We're so focused on grades. So over the summer, I just said, I'm done. We're not going to do it. And luckily, my principal said, great, (laughs) have fun. Um, And so I spent last year not grading anything and just giving tons of feedback. And I also made a deal that that I'm changing for next year. But I made a deal with students. I said, this is a year that no one has seen before. And I would like to just have everyone earn an A and have that be external. And so we made a deal. I said, you need to think hard. You need to keep trying. You need to tell me when you're having problems and I will support you through all of that. And let's just have this A be completely separate from our learning and growth in this classroom. Um, and it was, it was an amazing experience. I had a, the student feedback was great. We, really, we talked about mental health so much um, and it, it convinced me that not only was it good for their, just their self-image, their advocacy, they learned a lot. And I had students do a lot of extra things that I don't think they would normally do in a graded class. Yeah, it's it's interesting to hear you talk about the, the circumstances, because um, not that I was prescient about a pandemic coming, but um, the year that that year, um, although I will tell you, I was talking because I am a microbiology virology nerd. So I had been like, mm. we came back from our February break and I had the John Hopkins map up on the board and I was talking about the virus and what we knew and what we didn't know and the numbers. And I remember the day that Italy closed their schools and I was talking to that about to, with my AP students. So my AP students think that I'm like Nostradamus. <laughs> they were like, <laughs> they were like, they're, they're like, how did he know to start talking about this three weeks before the whole world shut down? And they would ask me questions like, mm-hmm. is the school going to close? And I'd be like, I don't know. And they're like, oh, well, we asked our other teachers and they told you, told us, no, it's not going to close. And I was like, yeah, they don't know what they're talking about. I don't know if we're going to close down or not. But <laughs> but but if you're asking me if we're going to close down, I'm going to say, I don't know if we are. And so that was the kind of thing. That was what I was saying in early March. But before that all happened, I had actually gone the year before and we had for whatever reasons why we make the decisions we make, we had decided to disaggregate um, our AP biology Mm. class from our AP biology lab. And it had to do with the fact that our schedule was changing and some other things were going on. And we decided to try this experiment to disaggregate, which meant that I was going to be teaching four different sections of AP biology lab. And they would be like every other, every section was every other day. And it was like, it was a lot. It ended up being a lot. But it basically meant that the way we'd always traditionally graded AP didn't work anymore because lab was always part of the class and it made up a huge part of the grade. And so I went and I had been working with Paul Strode and I had said, you know, why don't this is a perfect time to experiment with the idea of sort of a sort of a gradeless 
classroom one where students will make a portfolio, keep a journal, have a lab notebook, and then make a grade claim at the end of the quarter. And uh, so I went awesome, to my yeah. department head, and I think I've told this story before, but I went to my department head, who is a good friend of mine, who started teaching when I started teaching at the high school, and went to him. I was like, I'm thinking about this idea. How would you feel if I went to sort of a gradeless model? He's like, that sounds awesome. Can you explain to me what that is? And so I was like, all right. So I explained to him, and he's like, all right, well, that sounds great to me. Why don't you go talk to, you know, Dean, the Dean who we've known forever. So check, clear with him, make sure it's okay with him. So I went to talk to him, and I'm like, oh, I'm thinking about this. And he's like, that sounds awesome. Can you explain to me what that is? <laughs> and so he sent me to another administrator. I had the same conversation. So I had the same. Everybody was totally supportive, <laughs> but none of them knew what it was or what it meant. So everybody was like, all right, go ahead, go ahead, go ahead. So, um, yeah, so I had been already experimenting with it. So that meant all of our AP students were familiar with the language of yeah. gradeless. And so when when we closed down, I already had a language of saying, hey guys, from now on, all of our work, we're not going to worry about the way we've been doing it. We're just going to do this. And my, I'm just going to collapse our feedback and just, I'm going to give you feedback like I've been giving you on lab. And my partner who I taught with was also teaching two sections of the lab and a couple of sections of the class. And he just, ad- we just said, why don't we just do this and tell the kids that? And it was really easy. And so this year we already had a language. We had the you know, uh, experiment or crisis, however you want to describe it, (laughs) of the spring of how it worked. And we actually had a little bit of success. So this year we rolled in and I told my department head, and at this point, like literally I could have said, we're going to just, you know, give asparagus to all of our students every day. And they'd be like, whatever, just as long as there's no, (laughs) as long as everything's clean and everybody's six feet apart, well, you can do whatever you want. (laughs) I I don't think, I don't think, I think I could have proposed anything this year, but like, so we went fully gradeless across the board and Nobody had any like, and the kids were great about it. And, uh, and I did that, yeah. but I only did it with my AP classes. And so, you know, we'll come maybe put a pin in that and come back. Cause I do have some questions about Ooh. how to, how to come back there, but I do want to draw Lee in because, um, this is the first time I've been involved in a conversation mm-hmm. with Lee and she hasn't had a chance to speak for 10 minutes. So, um, <laughs> And Lena. <laughs> Get her in here. And that is, to- hey, that's fine. That's totally fine. I've spent most of the day talking. I know. But- so, so I'm good. Okay. So yeah, Lee, let me, let me frame it. Let okay. me frame it for you. So we've yeah. discussed our reducing our focus on grades and I know right. that you're slightly constrained. You often bring up both district level and then more broadly state level legislative issues um, that that are uh-huh. are restrictions <laughs> on your autonomy and free speech and lots of other things. But aside from those, let's just focus on grading for now. <laughs> yeah. Because Texas. <laughs> because Texas. Yeah. Yeah. And so it's interesting because, you know, my 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 campus started a conversation last year about grades and you know they had a they made a grading cadre and I don't even know what that group eventually ended up doing I know that they're trying to revisit some of the grading policies that we do have um, in an attempt to try and I guess make them somewhat uniform because we have teachers on my campus that will grade every single last piece of work that a student does and take grades on every single thing. Yeah, Johanna, if you saw some of these people's grade books, I mean, you know, there's there are teachers on my hallway who have, and, and be glad you're sitting down, okay. 50 to 60 grades in a grading period. Yeah. Oh. And I'm like, what? 
No. Um, I mean, if you're grading, let's, let's say if you're grading 50 things, first of all, in the nine week grading period, during which you see students only every other day, right? So out of a, out of a, you know, what, 15 days, I guess that is in, in a nine week period. I don't know. It's, it's math and it's summer and I don't want to think that hard, <laughs> but 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 literally you're taking four or five grades you know three or four grades at a time number one are they meaningful number two if i'm a kid in your class hypothetically i could do about half of the work and still pass your class you know and and maybe not demonstrate mastery of what you're teaching me but only i'm only passing because of the sheer volume of the work that, that you're taking from me. Mm-hmm. So what are, you're not doing me any favors, yep. you know, by, by grading 50 or 60 things. And so, you know, over the past several years, my team and I have worked to reduce the number of things that we grade, not just because we wanted to stay sane, but we wanted to make sure that what we graded had meaning, you know, because we are required by our district to take a certain number of grades in a grading period. Mm-hmm you know, um, and that, you know, we have to enter grades all, you know, every so often and, and all of this because of when grades are checked for eligibility purposes, you yeah. know, because in Texas, you've got the no pass, no play law. And so, you know, we, we have a lot of external things working against us in a system like this. Now, g- kind of looping back to what I was saying about this grading cadre and all of this business, I know that there were some folks on that that group that are very much in favor of a a type of system that has some ungrading to it. Mm-hmm. Um, the principal who was in charge of that group this last year was my direct supervisor and unfortunately is now going to be head of a different part of the school and no longer my direct supervisor, but somebody else's. And I'm like, but, but (laughs) why? Um, So I don't know where that conversation is going to go. Mm -hmm. And so I'm a little apprehensive um, about who's going to be stepping into his position come the fall because I don't know who this person's going to be. I don't even know if my head principal knows who that person's going to be. Um, I I'm I'll, I am a little worried because I have support from my big boss and from my former supervisor, but I don't know if I'm going to get the same support for what I want to try from my new supervisor. And part of me just wants to say, okay, look, I'm going to do things this way with this particular group of students, and that's this is what I'm going to do, right? Because I'm just going to be blunt. I'm kind of at that point in my career where I'm like, what are you going to do? <laughs> I mean, I'm this close to retirement. What are you going to do? <laughs> and good luck trying to find somebody to replace me, you know, especially at this time of the year. Um, because it really, I just want to do what's best for kids. I want to do what's best for the students. Yeah. And, you know, I'm, I'm good friends with the woman who's our advanced academics coordinator. She also happens to be our IB coordinator. And I was telling her, here's, you know, I I shared with her that part of my, the syllabus that I drafted while we were in workshop. And she was like, yes, this is what we need. (laughs) And so, um, you know, I'm hoping that, you know, it's going to be well received by the group of students that I'm going to be working with, because I want to try it with my IB students first, Mm -hmm. you know, for a few reasons. Number one, it's a small group. I found out Saturday that it's 18 kids, which is perfect. Like that's the perfect class size. Mm -hmm. Um, And I'm the only person that teaches that course, you know, so I'm not affecting hundreds of students. I'm just affecting this bunch of students. Um, 
what I'm hoping happens is that other kids and other teachers see, hey, this system is actually working and these kids are still learning and yeah. they're not worried about a grade. What? We should try this. You know, so I'm kind of hoping that that is the, the unintended side effect, you know, because I would really like for, you know, the grading policies on my campus to change. I, you know, in, in the last couple of years, you know, our, our principals have talked about, well, we want to have a culture where learning is more important than grades. Well, I'm like, well, if that's what you want, <laughs> then you've got to put in, you know, you know, you've got to give teachers the flexibility and the freedom to actually build that environment by removing grades from the equation. Yeah. You know, if you want them to focus on, if you want the kids to focus on learning, then give teachers the opportunity to, to create a system that, you know, focuses on that, but still has a way to meet the requirements that you have as far as entering a grade into the grade book, mm-hmm. you know? And so, you know, one of the things that I've been giving a lot of thought to over the last couple of weeks is, okay, logistically, how am I going to make mm-hmm. this work? Right. And, you know, cause when I know one of the questions that we talked about last week in some of the small groups that I was a part of was, were the logistics, like how does this actually physically look in the grade book? And I think what I finally decided to do is just say, okay, look, you know, here are the assignments that I would take grades on or whatever and be like, okay, if you've acted on the feedback, then you get this. If you've not acted on the feedback, then I'm going to put this in here as a placeholder to let you know, hey, you still need to do this, you know, for me to be able to give you a final mark or whatever, because I still have to have grades in the grade book. And so I think that's what I've finally decided on. Um, But I also know kind of like what you said, Johanna, last week about how you had the student that still needed that zero, Mm -hmm. you know, to motivate them to get stuff done as somebody who teaches kids who are highly grade motivated, some of them probably are going to need that. Mm-hmm. And I, what I may end up doing is just having individual conferences with each kid and saying, okay, tell me what you need. What is going to work for you? Because I want to make sure that whatever I do is in your best interest and, and benefits you, right? I mean, because ultimately that's who, that's, that's who I need to, to really think of when I put the system into place. Mm-hmm. And so you know, I'm in the process of kind of refining, you know, the last of the syllabus, at least the piece about grading and then getting into the, hey, this is what we're going to learn this year. And next year we're going to learn this stuff because I get these mm-hmm. kids for two years. Yeah. And so I'm, I'm really excited about that because I do get to have them for two years. So I'll get to see the cumulative effect of, of this practice, you know, over the course of two years. So mm-hmm. super, super excited about that. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, Lee, I think you, you've you really nailed, uh, I think, a, a piece that to me was sort of my aha moment that I had this spring, um, both through the workshop back in February and then also uh, reading um, Ungrading and some other resources, uh, which I'll, we can talk about a little bit later. But um, what I learned is that you need to design, or for me, what I found is I needed to design feedback into the course. It wasn't enough to say, mm-hmm. here is an assignment that you can revise. I had to set intermediate deadlines for students to say, you are going to hand in this assignment by here and you will get it back and you will have until this point to revise. Like I had to design it into the course. I had to design revision into the course. And if I didn't design revision mm-hmm. into the course, the kids couldn't do 
the kids couldn't do it and I couldn't do it. It was an unreasonable yeah. request to try to get students to do that component unless I had students um, with a design to say that. Because what just what you said, what I found is the first year I did it, when I asked kids to, you know, oh, you have until this point, And if you hand it in early, I'll give it back and give you feedback. I would have students who would wait until like the day before it was due and they would do it. And then it's, at that point I go, well, but how long does this go? Like we do have ultimately have deadlines. And as much as I want to say, we don't have deadlines and we get, we can do it forever. We do ultimately have dead grading deadlines and we have to have things in at a certain <laughs> point. And if yes. you don't design those components in, um, we're still dealing with teenagers and teenagers brains. And, um, as Bob Kuhn often says, the economy of high school, um, like due dates create an economic incentive for students to hand things in. Um, and if, if, so if you want them to do it and then to redo it, you have to say it's due at this point, even though that's not the final due, it's got to have that point. And you can be soft with it, but just saying you got to get this in by this point, especially when you're dealing with the kinds of nerds that we are talking about, because we share we share yeah. similar brained <laughs> nerds um, who <laughs> will meet those deadlines. Uh, but this transitions perfectly um into what I was going to ask uh, Johanna, what, what structures do you build into your classes in order to help them reflect on their learning in these smaller increments so that, yeah, you can revise anything just doesn't work. That's too laissez-faire, um, especially yes, for right. a younger student or a student who has competing interests. Mm -hmm. um, a couple of things. First, I would say just the teacher mindset. I think, I think there is a common Thing that happens in some teacher break rooms where it's like these students they can't do anything on time they're always on their phones and and they're always asking me about their grade and it's like well let's talk about the system that we're placing students in um, and I couldn't agree more I get this question about deadlines all the time I, I had somebody just message me on Twitter they say I teach computer science too and if I just let students turn everything in at the end of the year then they won't have built all those skills. And research shows that people do need deadlines. And most students are going to follow the deadline or be close to it, right? Most students, and I'm a big fan of just saying, let's do the thing that works for most people and then triage the people who are struggling. Um, so I, I used my gradebook, back to the gradebook thing, I used my gradebook to track and communicate what students had done or not. And uh, part of that, the, I just did that blanket first semester, one or a zero, you did it or you didn't. And then I made the category such a small weight that it didn't affect their overall grade. But families and students and I all had this common place to see what was being done, done and what wasn't. And then second semester, I had the same feedback experience. I really wanted students to act on feedback and to see how valuable it is to not get it perfectly right the first time. And that's never how things ever work. <laughs> I want you to do it again. And so I switched over to a system of, if it was a bigger thing, if, if it was some sort of modeling event that we were doing and they needed to revise, I would not put in the one in the gradebook until the revision had happened. Again, it wasn't pulling down their grade or anything. It was just, according to my tracking, you haven't responded to the feedback yet. Um, and that was huge for us. And then I do, I do do weekly feedback. I actually, I model it too. I ask for feedback from my students every week. I started that when I was a student teacher, and I think it's honestly um, gotten me to where I am today was just not defensively taking that student feedback. And so what I'm planning for next year, I had kind of unit reflection questions. I'm going to move to my old standards-based grading thing where we did these assessments on Fridays. 
So I'm going to have some questions on Fridays where they're going, I'm going to have them answer just with their own brains, but not in a high stakes situation and also give them time for weekly reflection then um, and, and turn that into me via Google form. And then we'll be doing, taking those weekly reflections, building into their unit understanding when they kind of report to me, this is how I'm doing on this unit. Um, and then at the end of the grading period, coming to me and conferencing and discussing that grade. So I'm going to build it in in small increments weekly and then kind of reflect over the unit based off of all of the artifacts they've already collected and everything they've already written and coming together on that. Um, I also love just in little assignments, Katie Dornbosch does this all the time. If you follow her on Twitter, she just throws in reflection questions at the end of assignments or just in the middle. You can, you can put stuff in there anytime um, and have it be part of their natural work and value that too. You can't just throw these questions at students though, if they're in that grade mindset. You can't just say, I need you to reflect, it's important. <laughs> and, then, and then never talk about it again. You have to show how much it's valued as part of the learning experience and the ultimate student goal for what they've done in your class. Yeah. Yeah. The, the, I would say one of the two, one of the two things that sort of pinged for me when we did that February workshop was <laughs> I, it, it dawned on me that I, I overcomplicated how I got feedback from students. Like, I think that I mm. like the concept of just like doing like a, a small mini check-in or like a little feedback or a, a lit, like my, I, I think that I have built up, I have built up structures that I've since simplified, but I started in almost like, like a Rube Goldberg form of ungrading, <laughs> if you will. <laughs> like, like I, I remember being a, they like, why didn't I just do something simple? Like, which is not normally how I do that. But in my systems, some aspects of my grading and feedback and getting feedback from students are overly elaborate. And I did simplify some of them. I didn't go to the weekly components for a variety of reasons, um, partly because of the, the hybrid nature of our schedule and some of the just crazy 2020-2021 logistics that were here. But I love the idea of smaller check-ins and feedback as we go um, and, and ways to both have that metacognition piece for a student, but also mm -hmm. the yes. student voice on what's going on and how things are going and what we need to revise and um, what we need to revisit. Um, I, I can see that um, as we go. Uh, and the other thing that jumped out at me, and I don't remember who had said it. it I don't review some, one of the other members of the panelists, but um, that we had a conversation about how we privilege students who have the comfort and ability to come and ask for extensions. Yes. Um, yeah. And that that in and of itself mm -hmm. is a form of inequity. Um, and I felt it was you, but we had a larger conversation that yes. went on beyond that. But <laughs> what we have always viewed as, well, I always provide grace for my students. All they have to do is ask for it. And the framing of the conversation we had of, yes, but they must come and ask for it. And not every student is going to have that skill set or voice to come forward and do that. Uh, that was the other one. I was like, oh. And and I think that in a lot of ways, I had already moved to that point, to the point where if you had come to me, say, seven or eight years ago, I would have like... I would have given kids, anybody who came in advance and asked for that, I would have always given an extension. But if a kid had come in on that morning, 
I might not have. And then I realized that like, <laughs> but I pretty much at this point that I gave extensions to pretty much everybody over everything, no matter what. And we have a system in our school where you have to request a post test postponement 48 hours in advance by filling out a form and it goes to your dean and then your dean sends it to the students. It has to do with like, it's like a long history of why that is. And that, by the way, that's like, it's developed over time and it's way better than it used to be. Like it's, it is, it is a mention of progress, but what I pretty much tell my students, and I can say this with the comfort that none of, neither of my deans will ever listen to any of my podcasts, but like, I, I pretty much always tell the students, fill out the form and I'm going to let you postpone it. Even if they say no, um, like I, and I, <laughs> but I say, fill out the form, like go fill out the form. So they have the metrics and they have the number, but don't worry. Yes. We'll, we'll find another way to do it. Um, and I always do that. I like, I, I became, I, I think that I went from what I thought is, I felt like I was the most accommodating teacher in the school to, I became the type of accommodating students my students needed. Like that conversation changed the framing that I was in a comparison mindset of, I am this wonderful accommodating teacher in and amongst this group of professionals. And who cares how I am in comparison to others. It is how I am there for my students. And that is a conversation we had that it shifted my mindset. And I think that if I am guilty of my students being all caught up in comparison, I need to call myself out on it when I get caught up Mm -hmm. in being in that same comparison mindset. So, um, Mm -hmm. you know, that was just me just standing up on a soapbox because I get to... (laughs) on my show. <laughs> no, I love it. I love it. I have a couple of thoughts. One is just if, if someone's listening to this and they're thinking about trying on grading, you are going to confront uncomfortable biases that you maybe don't think you have. Mm-hmm. You, you will meet them and you will see, oh, I'm questioning this student and not that student. And there are going to be a lot of moments of that, but it is awesome. And if you have, if you have this big guiding principle of I'm going to create a system that gives all students grace, whether or not there's something in the back of my brain saying, don't believe this student, just understand that that's probably part of my cultural experience. And I could be reading that student completely wrong. Mm-hmm. So, so I think it's such a great opportunity to just live in that space of like questioning yourself as a teacher. <laughs> um, and then something I've just been thinking about, Lee, and, and what you're doing with IB that I bet people would love to hear about. Um, mm-hmm. is how, because you're still going to need to show on that IB score scale, right? You have to turn in yep. a one through a seven. So mm-hmm. what's your plan for helping students be ungraded, but also reporting something that you think is is an appropriate assessment? Right. Yeah. So that's where I'm still trying to flesh out just for me what that's going to look like, because I mean, both of the classes I teach have a high stake assessment in the end, right? Because I teach AP also. and so you know, the only difference is that I've got two years to figure out, okay, how am I going to, you know, predict these kids at a one through a seven, you know? And so that, that's something I have to really, really think about because I'm like, all right, well, I don't like to focus on the fact that there's an exam, but at the end of the day, there's an exam. And, you know, and, and oddly enough, for the last two years, the, the IB kids that I've taught haven't sat exams. For two mm. years, they haven't sat exams. We took the non-exam route this year. And then last year, the IB was just like, eh, we're not going to have exams <laughs> at all. <laughs> and so, so my students, by the time they take this exam in, let's see, this is 21, 22, they'll sit for an exam in the spring of 23. Mm. 
you know, it will have been four years. Wow. <laughs> yeah. Since, since I've had a group of kids sit an IB exam. Yeah. So let that sink in for a minute. It's, it, it will have been four years. And so, um, you know, it's going to be interesting to see how I work around that. Because like I said, I, that's something I haven't quite thought about just yet, yeah. you know, because I'm just coming around to this idea of, okay, how am I going to make this look in the grade book? Mm-hmm. You know, how am I going to make this look in the grade book? You know, not even thinking about the exam. And so now I've got to be, figure out, okay, so what's this going to look like? You know, because I, what I don't want to do is go back on the way I did things. Be like, okay, well, if you had these grades and these grades and these grades, and that really equates to a this, Right. Because then what's that going to do? That's going to make it easier for me to backpedal Mm -hmm. and to do what's comfortable and to do what I'm accustomed to and to do what is was what is comfortable and familiar to the kids, Mm. you know, and that's not what I want to do. You know, I'm I'm trying to to be different. I'm trying to grow here. And, you know, by falling back on old practices, that's not how you move forward. You know, because one of the things that you just mentioned about, you know, confronting your biases, I think that's true regardless of how you choose to change your views on grading and assessment. Um, a few years ago when the people who uh, came to my campus to that were hired to work with me as part of the AP bio team, um, one of them now teaches apes at our STEAM center, but the other one is now my main teaching partner. You know, she and I came to, to, to loggerheads several times during that school year because our philosophies about grading were so drastically different. And our, our approaches to conver- conversation were also very drastically different. <laughs> um, but we eventually did have it out and, and figured out, okay, hey, you know, we have to work together. We, you know, we've got to figure some things out because... You know, really, we're here to benefit our students. And so since then, everything's been fine. You know, our working relationship has improved greatly. Our, our personal relationship with each other improved greatly. But she was the one that really kind of got me down this path of, hey, I really need to think about, you know, do the grading practices I employ help kids or hurt them? Yeah. Um, and she was the one that really just was very blunt. Well, when you do this, this happens. And I'm like, but, but, but. <laughs> and it made me start to think about some things that I had been doing for ages that no one had ever called me on. Ooh. And yeah, and it, it made me angry. I mean, I, I won't lie to you. It made me very angry. But then once I really sat and thought about it and I got past that, I was like, you know what? Um, she's right. <laughs> you know, the words that nobody ever wants to say is that you were right. But I, I finally had to admit that she was right. And and so, you know, from that, you know, having that experience working with this particular colleague, I'm like, okay, so tell me a little bit more about how this is beneficial and, and help me understand your point of view, because I want to know why you know, I want to understand this so that I'm less angry about it and I'm less afraid of it. And maybe I'll actually come to enjoy it, mm-hmm. <laughs> you know, and understand why this is beneficial. And now, you know, now I'm just like, all right, man, screw the man. Let's do this. <laughs> Let's try this. Because I was actually the one that approached her and my other teammate and said, hey, I want to try this. Mm-hmm. And when I explained to them you know, because I think you had provided some slides and stuff from the presentation that I attended in January and I shared those with them and they were like, oh, this actually sounds kind of cool. I said, yeah, so it's going to be my mission to learn a little bit more about this. I said, because I want to bring y'all on board with Mm -hmm. this. And I actually told them, y'all need to get this book. We need to read it together as a PLC and we need to discuss. And they were like, okay, 
(laughs) And so, you know, when I, when I look at, I guess, my professional growth in the last, I guess, three years, it's, it's been tremendous. And I don't want the traditional framework that we use to collect grades. I mean, because it's really what we're doing. Mm -hmm. Um, to, to impede that progress. That's because mm-hmm. that's really what I'm most afraid of is, is having the, the system that I work within and the restrictions that are placed on me impede the progress that I've made with my own professional growth. Because what I really want to do, like I said, it's, I want to benefit the kids. I want the kids to be, you know, the, the, the ones who, who benefit from whatever system I put into place. And you know, I've just really got to think about how am I going to make that look and make it align to, you know, this, this IB score in the end, mm. Yeah. you know, because I'm, I'm going to be blunt. Not every kid's going to make a seven, you know, there's no way <laughs> sevens are hard to come by. It's like 1.5% of the total population that tests gets a seven, you know? Um, so I can't, I, I don't think I can approach it by saying, okay, everybody makes an A, you know, I can't do that. Yeah. Yeah. You know, be, because of the high stakes thing at the end. But, you know, what I can do is say, okay, if we're earning, you know, if we're doing all of this and we're revising at these levels and we're providing feedback both directions, you know, because my syllabus is basically saying, okay, look, this is a give and take. I'm going to do these things, but I need you to do these things for me. Then I think that, you know, I can come to some, you know, realization of what that could look like on a scale of one to seven. Mm. You know, I just, I really, I really want to talk to you. There was the, the guy that taught IB chem in the group that we were in, in our workshop that was an IB chemistry teacher. I think he was from India. Yeah. And so he's he, from Nepal. He had, yeah. Mm-hmm. Was, I knew he was not here in the States, mm-hmm. but he had mentioned something about he was going to create exemplars and, and all of this. And I wonder if his exemplars were going to align to that one to seven score. Yeah. You know, so I'd, I'd be curious to know if if that was the case, because if that was the case, then maybe I could use that as a framework maybe to build from and modify. Yeah, I don't know. That, that's his plan. And I'll connect you guys with email. So something that's interesting is he asked to meet with me extra on the side and we talked. And okay, he said, cool. I just think I just think I need permission to assess students on this one through seven scale and have it still benefit them through all the positives of ungrading. And I was yeah. like, will mm-hmm. it, is it what you have to do for your students? He said, yes. And I was like, then you're ungrading. And I, I think it is okay. I mean, for AP Chem, I, I practiced some of this. I scored things using the AP Chemistry scoring guide. We, but when, especially for AP, I saved that for the end. So we had built up a lot of this ability to think through problems and problem solve and think holistically. And then we could say, oh, now I'm going to score this. So we're, we're gaming the exam. We're going to game that system in our classroom. We're going to have this great learning, true human experience of growth. And then let's game the college board. They didn't hear me say that, right? They're not listening. <laughs> so, you know, I, I think you can, you can really bring those together as long as you're explicit with your students and they'll, they'll come along with you. Yeah. Yeah. I was going to say, and I figured that that would happen. It's just, I, I have to think, you know, for me, logistically, what is that going to look like? You know, how am I going to solve this problem? And it's interesting. I got a, I got a text from a colleague today in a neighboring city. Hey, can we meet this week to talk about ungrading? And I was like, 
not this week. <laughs> I got an APSI, but next week, let's do this. Yeah. And she also teaches AP chemistry. Nice. Um, I don't know if you know her, Amy Snyder. Oh, yes. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So Amy and I are going to get together next week. She mentioned that she was meeting with somebody soon. Nice. Yep. <laughs> We're going to get together sometime next week. I think it's Friday is what we've got planned. So I'll add her to the list of a hundred. You know, the power of Twitter <laughs> brought me to her. <laughs> one of the hun- one of the so. hundred teachers in in the United States who teaches science. <laughs> That's right. <laughs> I mean, I think it would be worth having a conversation like this at at NABT in the fall. To be honest, I mean, and I actually, you know, at the end of the workshop last week said to Johanna, I was like, hey, you know, if I give this a try next year with my kids or when I give this a try next year with my kids, you know, I'll document this and and all of this. And and then maybe we can put together a proposal Mm -hmm. to present at NABT in 22. I guess is when yeah. the next one is going to be after oh, this. So. You, I thought we said we were writing a book. We're going to write a book. We're going to call it degrading. Um, and it's. <laughs> <laughs> there is space for an ungrading in STEM yeah. book. Yeah. I'm just saying yeah. if we want to get together. Yeah. 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 yeah it's, that's true. That's true. Yeah. So I think we have, we've alluded to this book a lot and maybe, I don't know that we need to say much more about it, but you know, I read you know, it was funny. Again, I, I I mentioned it earlier, like the idea that, um, you know, uh, Johanna, you were like this, it's like sage expert on ungrading. Like it's been the system that's existed for years. And in December of 2020, a book called ungrading came out. And it's one of those things I was like, when did this come out? Oh, this just came out. Like, six weeks ago after I bought it. Yeah. I'm like, and you know, I think of these things like you discover, I'm so used to discovering things and finding that I'm like late to the party. Like, I mean, maybe that's because I was just like, maybe that's because I'm like rewatching the wire like this, this week, <laughs> which, which went off the air 15 years ago. And I'm like, damn, look at, you know, well, I mean, you're rewatching the wire. I'm rewatching Mad Men and I'm seeing things that I'm just like, what? These people are homophobic and sexist and they're just terrible. And I didn't think Pete Campbell would be one of my favorite characters because he Ooh. wasn't when I saw the series the first go round. But now I'm like, man, Pete's actually not too awful <laughs> because he's the least racist of the whole bunch or one of the least racist ones of the whole bunch. And I'm like, Oh my gosh. So maybe you're having the same revelations that you're just like, I never noticed this before. How did I not see yeah. this? Well, I'm just happy to look at tiny, skinny Lance Reddick, um, <laughs> who I love. I love young Idris Elba, who still looks like a house, but he's <laughs> anyway, uh, to get us back on track, but this book ungrading. Uh, so for people who don't know, I'll put it in the show notes. It's called ungrading why rating students undermines learning and what to do instead. It was edited by uh, Susan Blum. Um, has tons of great insights in the book. Bloom. Bloom? Am I saying it? Bloom? Mm-hmm. Uh, Bloom. Thank you. Uh, Susan Bloom. Um, tons of great insights in this book. Um, are there other like resources that we should be looking at that, 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 that ping you that, that, that have helped you gain insight aside from pointing everyone to go buy this book? Yeah. And I can, I can give you a link of a Google doc of resources that I have gathered. Would you, that I think have some really, I already have your, I have your Google doc. You want me to, oh. you want me just to steal your oh, Google okay. doc? <laughs> Please share the Google doc. It's, it's an open access resource. Yeah. Um, for me, I think there are teachers going gradeless has a lot of different blogs that can be hard to navigate. And I'm going, well, I should look up her name. Rachel Petner. It's on my 
on my list somewhere. Somewhere. I, I if you're a science person, um, Rachel. I lost her. Rachel Kettner Thompson is fantastic. She has some great ideas about cycles of feedback. She's a middle school science teacher um, around the Spokane area up by me. Uh, just, I think her blogs are absolutely fantastic. Uh, but I would check out the Teachers Going Gradeless website. And then I also like Star Stacky's blog. She also has a book called Hacking Assessment. Um, but I think her blog, if you're like, oh, I just need to see somebody who has done this. Like I looked at her conferences page and just her ideas for making conferences more efficient, um, I think is really, is really great. But a lot of the resources out there and what we need to work on everybody is that a lot of it is English teachers. Mm -hmm. And so English teachers, I, I asked about conferencing and I got all these English teachers saying, oh, I do this all the time. They're all writing and then I'm doing this thing and it's fine. And it's like, I don't have writing workshops like for essays, so I need to figure out some different things. So there's a there's if if you're STEM and you are doing this, please share your journey mm. in whatever medium you can because you will teach other people. But that's that's where I would start out with those two books. I think hacking assessment and people also I have not read it, but pointless. It is an English yeah. teacher based book. Yeah, that's um, actually but, Paul's wife. Yeah, <laughs> yeah Paul's oh, wife. Fantastic. Yeah. Yeah, it is a good book. It is. It is a good we, book. We have both read that. <laughs> uh, I, ha I did actually just order. I was like, I just want to see what's in here. So, yeah, there's some good stuff in there. I mean, and, and you have to get past the fact that, you know, it's it's centered around an ELA teacher. Mm -hmm. But I think that some of the lessons that, that Sarah writes about are are definitely applicable to any subject area. You know, I mean, I think it can be, I think some of the stuff that she writes about can be generalized to mm -hmm. any subject yeah. area because that was the book that I read mm -hmm. first, you know, um, when Paul had mentioned that she was writing this book and, and it came out, I think I bought it right after it mm -hmm. came out and I read it and I was like, okay, yeah, there's some stuff in here that I can be down with mm -hmm. and, and that I think is worth investigating. And so I actually got my colleagues to read that book too. <laughs> <laughs> and so I was just like, okay, you know, so this is a good start. Hmm. You know, this is a really good start. So, yeah. So Leah, aside from that book, are there other resources that you popped mm -hmm. out as uh, on your journey? I'm in the process of reading grading for equity mm. um, by Feldman. Joe Feldman, I think is the author's name. Yeah. Um, I'm one of those people that starts reading a whole ton, a crap ton of books at once and and all of that and so i'm in the middle of reading you know that book i just started what is it i found it i got it in the mail the other day i'm in the middle of reading this book equity centered trauma uh, yes. informed education and i texted my my ap coordinator and i was like this is what we should be having pd over not kagan strategies <laughs> <laughs> and she agreed with me <laughs> um because it's it it so I'm only about 15 pages in and I'm like, oh my gosh, yeah, we totally need this. Um, but I would, I would, I would offer up grading for equity as, as a book to kind of maybe go hand in hand with um, the ungrading book simply because I think that grading practices that we employ are inherently inequitable, uh, that, that some grading practices we employ are inherently inequitable. Um, you know, especially when you start thinking about late work policies 
and reass- you know, the ability to redo things or not redo things. Um, you know, this whole idea of giving kids grace, like Johanna said, you know, you assume that every kid has the skill set to approach an adult and have that very difficult conversation with them. Because let's face it, if you have a kid that's got social anxiety, they're not going to come and talk to you. You know, or if you have a student who doesn't ever approach adults or look them in the eye to talk to them because of it, because it may be a cultural thing, they're never going to come and talk to you, you know, about redoing something or, you know, extension of a, of a due date. They're not going to come and talk to you. And so, uh, you know, and, and, and late work and things like that, you know, if we penalize for late work, what are we teaching these kids? You know, that I'm sorry, life doesn't matter. You know, if life happens and you happen just not to do your homework that night or whatever, because, um, you know, the dog died or grandma fell and broke her hip or whatever. I'm sorry that that's a late grade and I'm not going to take it. You know, what are we telling kids when when we don't, you know, when we don't take those assignments from them? I'm sorry, your life outside of school doesn't matter. No, we can't say that. You know, we can't say that and call ourselves, <laughs> you know, true champions for kids. Mm-hmm. You know, if we if we ignore the fact that these students have lives outside of our classrooms, you know, and, and that often, you know, those things are going to be way more important than anything that I could send home for them to do. Mm-hmm. You know, I, I get a lot of, you know, when, when, when the perennial question of whether or not I give holiday assignments or, or summer assignments comes up. You know, I am very much firmly planted in the belief that, no, you should not have a summer assignment because summer is the time for family. Summer is the time for enrichment. Summer is the time for a kid to be a kid, you know, and especially since we teach high school students for our seniors, our kids coming in, they're going to be rising seniors. This is the last opportunity they have to really just be completely irresponsible (laughs) and to be children, you know. And, and that's if they're fortunate that they get to do that, you know, because we do have students that have resp- responsibilities at home, you know, of raising younger siblings, of caring for an elder. They, they have those responsibilities. Some of them work because they're yep. contributing to the family income. Those things, in my opinion, are far more important than any summer assignment I could give them. And, 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 and the day that those things become less important, I might consider it. But until then, no. I'm, I'm not going to do it. And so when we think about grading policies that could potentially minimize the student experience outside of the classroom, I think we really do have to look at it through a lens of equity, um, you know, because the the stuff that these kids are going through, you know, now, especially with the pandemic and everything, you know, we, we have students whose lives have been upended because their families have been upended for one reason or another, whether they've lost a loved one, whether there's been an employment loss in the family, whether there's illness, you know, lingering illness, whatever, you know, depression because of the isolation, we really do have to consider, you know, are the grading policies that we employ as educators, you know, benefiting these kids or are they harming them? You know, and how can we mitigate that? You know, well, the easiest way is to just get rid of the damn grades. <laughs> you know, it's just bringing everybody else along with us to, to figure that out, that it's actually going to be beneficial for kids. Yeah. I, I gave, and I think teachers yeah. do, oh, go. No, go, no, no, you oh, go ahead. Right. You go. <laughs> oh, I just think, I think teachers do really cling, cling to grades, cling to this idea of objectivity, because when, when you have this transactional relationship, you're able to absolve yourself 
of responsibility. Well, that student should never have been put in my class. They weren't prepared. Mm-hmm. Or that student missed so much school. It's not my fault. It's not my problem. You just have this system that that takes the humanity out of it. And we got to put it back and let it be messy. Because yeah. that's how it really is. Yeah. I, the, the There's still a culture in my school, I hear it said, where students are labeled as being of a particular level. This is an honor student. This is a, and it's, it is, it is known to be passe. It is known to say that, but a, if you listen or if you, if it sounds like a a needle scratch across the record as I date myself, um, (laughs) but (laughs) with my, uh, or maybe I'm just a hipster. Uh, but the point is, is that it's, uh, it's one of those things that it, it pings me every time I hear it. And I avoid people in the past year. I didn't see other human beings aside from my students. Mm-hmm. And I still must have heard it a dozen times over the last year where kids were labeled as being of a level. And that it, it it's, you know, a part of the, oh, let's get back to normal. Let's get back to the way it was before. Um, oh. It wasn't acceptable before. And I don't want to get back to that thing either. So let's let's not, if, if the labeling was part of that. Um, and then just sort of cycling back, um, two things. One, when we get to equity I have and trauma, we can talk about my my pick at the end of the episode, which I I will tease now, but we'll we'll bring it that in there. Um, and then uh, the other thing is, I did give um, a young English teacher who I happen to be on a committee with, and I would talk to her at graduation because we did have an outdoor graduation. And this person who was one of the few teachers I talked to all year because we were on Zoom meetings and technology meetings all year, um, I gave her a cop of, copy of Sarah's book. Um, <laughs> the last day of school, I got an extra copy um, and gave her a copy of that. And then um, I asked on my end of the year survey because we had like a day and a half. We went back for a Monday, a full day Monday and then a Tuesday. So I did my end of the year survey on the Monday. And one of the questions I asked them was, um, I asked my students, who are other teachers in the building who might take an unorthodox approach to grading? And large numbers of them flagged one of our AP US history teachers, who I have a friendly rapport with, but I do not have collegial professional pedagogical discussions with. In fact, the longest conversation I ever had with him is he was flying to the St. Louis area the same day I was flying to the St. Louis NABT conference. And it was like a Wednesday night. And we happened to both be on a plane flying from Boston to St. Louis. And we had a conversation in the I think that was the, the longest conversation we'd ever had together was on an airplane to <laughs> just happened to be on. Um, and I went and we talked and we talked for like a half an hour and then shared some resources on the last day. So I'm starting to like, I'm, I think I'm like a year ahead of you, Lee. Like I have gone through some of those journeys in schools and some of those challenges. And now I'm like, all right, let's start to bring in my, you know, who are the subversive people in the building I can bring into my camp to (laughs) destroy this from the inside? Like (laughs) uh, uh, it's, and it will be curious to see. All right. As we usher ourselves towards the end, my last thought I wanted to hit on. And as we're running over time, who, who could have possibly seen us running along? Um, (laughs) But (laughs) I knew that was never going to be an hour. But anyway, um, one of the things that came out, it came out both in the book and also I've, it's come out in a few different ways is um, when you ask students to have a voice in their grading, there is, um, there are differences in how students approach the metacognitive process. Some students are much harder on themselves. And I know the book specifically brought up gender differences in that. And I very firsthand saw that this year that I had some 
some young men who were boldly confident about how well they had done um, in the absence of evidence um, <laughs> that I had to have a conversation. I was like, well, but I see these things. Are you seeing these things too? And they're like, oh yes, I guess I just forgot all those things. Well, you're not supposed to forget. You're supposed to use evidence. But And I also had people who would say things like, I wasn't able to do this right the first time and I had to go back and revise this and that therefore I shouldn't get an A, I should get an A minus. And I had, I had some young women and it was more pronounced with young women saying that. So I think that that's an equity comp component, but I also think at ages, different ages, younger students have a harder time. When I surveyed my younger students versus my older students, my younger students all feel there should be penalties for light work or substantially think there should be penalties for late work and that points should be deducted. There's a difference in how they view the grading system. So I'm curious how, uh, you know, how we, we deal with incorporating some of these practices with younger students. Um, I don't know if you've had that experience to talk to younger students and, and help them through this process and help them to see this. Well, any advice on how to deal with grade nine or 10 students uh, in this process? Yeah, and I did read that. I mostly teach 11th and 12th grade students. Some, my AP can ends up with a lot of high achieving 10th graders, but um, I would say that making it explicitly part of your assessment. So when you say, how, how did you grow in this area as part of their conversation about what goes into their grade? Not just, did you master all these things, but what, what skills did you grow in? And if you make that an explicit part of the work that they're doing to come up with their grade, mm -hmm. they'll at least have that cue that it's valuable. And then you can talk to them about it. Mm -hmm. And I think we, we can talk more about ninth and 10th graders, but I would just say when students, when students come to us and they have not experienced the system, they're going to need to practice. Mm -hmm. And when I talk to teachers about ungrading, I hear a lot of but what if, and then there were three students who still won't do anything and, and it's like, well, they weren't going to do anything when you graded. So it not. <laughs> but th there's all these what if questions that will prevent you from making the jump. Mm -hmm. And I strongly suggest that people just try to make things as explicit as possible. If you care about students learning it, teach it. Like if you care about students learning how to be metacognitive, you have to teach it and you're going to need to support them through the fumbles on the way. So as, as we can do that, I would say just go for it and see how it goes. It's, it's going to be good on some level. Yeah. It's going to take you all on a journey together. So I would just go for it. But if other people have ideas for ninth and 10th graders more so than I do, I'd love to hear them too. Yeah, I'm curious about that because my AP students are primarily 10th graders. Yeah. Mm. You know, my IB students are going to be 11th graders. And so, you know, and, and you know, the, the comment, Erin, that you just made about younger students feeling though as though grades should be penalties, <laughs> you know, for a less than stellar job or whatever. This last semester, we uh, decided in the last unit in our AP class to do a portfolio assessment. Mm -hmm. Which, you know, we had the best of intentions, <laughs> right? And, and what do they say? The road to hell is paved with good intentions. <laughs> we had the best intentions. Our timing was poor mm -hmm. because it was the last unit. It was right around the time of AP exams. Um, there was a time crunch. And so, you know, our kids, you know, we gave them plenty of in-class time to get work done. We explained to them very clearly, this is what we're expecting you to do. You've got to provide us with evidence that you've learned this thing and so on and so forth. And then you've got to write a great argument letter saying, here's what I feel like I should have because here's the evidence I have that supports this claim. Yeah. And 
we got some, we did get some work that was pretty stellar. Um, and then we got some work that was not so stellar. <laughs> and I think part of the reason why was the timing, yeah. right? Because some of the kids that were not doing the great work, were doing the less than stellar work, were kids that were getting ready to take six AP tests, right? Yeah. And so that's why I'm saying our timing was poor. Our execution was, I'm not going to say it was flawless, but it was amazing. But the timing was just crap. Yeah. Um, and so, you know, I think that if we proceed with this going into the next year with our AP students we're still probably going to use a portfolio-based system of some sort. Um, the, you know, the evidence letter, you know, the grading evidence letters and all of this, we're still going to work on that. But what I noticed with my 10th graders is that some of them were really articulate about, here's the evidence that I have that supports my claim that I should make of this. And here's how I know that I learned these things and so on and so forth. And I don't know if that's an artifact of them having written claim evidence reasoning stuff all year long, mm -hmm. or if they were just naturally that, mm -hmm. you know, mature in their writing, you know, because most of these students I had last year were remote learners. 80% of my kids were at home. And so I never really got to see them or talk to them on a daily basis to, to know for sure, is this how you always are, you mm -hmm. know? So I don't know. I don't know. Yeah. And then, of course, I had some some older students who who were the same way. You know, their writing was really good and they were able to articulate very clearly and very, you know, well. Yeah, I, I don't think I did a good job or, hey, I, I think I did a fantastic job and here's why. You know, here's the evidence I have that demonstrates that. So, you know, I, I don't know that that's necessarily, at least my experience is not necessarily was age based, yeah. you know. <laughs> Yeah. simply because of the, the population of kids that I taught. Yeah. I think my, my things that I was seeing is I used, I wrote very different surveys for my, my freshman, sophomore and junior senior class, because I did a very, mm -hmm. you know, gradeless ungrading system with my juniors and seniors, but I did have some questions mm -hmm. that were the same. And it was, so those were the ones that really popped. Like when you asked my, my juniors and seniors about late work, like, Almost like we didn't, I didn't penalize for late work, but I framed it specifically in the light of this past year, we made a decision to not penalize for late work. How do you feel about this policy? This is a good policy as is. It was an okay policy because we were in the pandemic and you should, you know, you should take off from that. It, it was too lenient a policy. Like I had a few different options in there, mm -hmm. but my freshmen and sophomores were all like, you were soft. Like it was too lenient. <laughs> it was, or it was an okay for the pandemic in there. Whereas my juniors and seniors were mostly, I think there were like three students who, I think there three students out of my 40 who were like, you should be taking off out of my AP students. Whereas it was a substantial number of my younger students were either it was too soft or you should be taking points off. So there's like, and part of that is, you're right, I treated this two classes very differently. So they were very different systems. And in one class, as you were talking, Lee, and, and, and going back to the idea you have to teach metacognition, my AP class was set up to teach the concept of reflection and metacognition. And so we practiced that over and over and over again. Um, and so you're right. There is a little fear about, I know what a survey looks like when I ask my, my juniors and seniors to reflect on their work and what kind of feedback I get from them versus when I ask my younger students to do it. And it's part of just the, oh, well, I guess I need to actually be a better teacher about metacognition. I, maybe I'm just too permissive of allowing 
crappy medica- metacognition to fly with my younger students. And that's just been something that is an area that I just got to say, okay, I got to stop doing that. That I just say, when I ask for reflection from my younger students and I get inadequate reflection, I got to stop, stop accepting it and just say, we need to have a conversation about this. Or can you elaborate on this or ask for more? It doesn't have to be in a punitive way, but letting low level reflection go by without, without a deeper conversation, without demanding more reflection is something I probably have been guilty of and is probably part of my, you know, not, I wouldn't say I'm, I'm anxious about it, but it is a, a point of concern with operating with that mm-hmm. younger students is because it is an area where it's probably a weakness of mine that I got to get better at. So I think we just, uh, I will, hopefully you guys don't charge me for that little therapy session that we just had there, but <laughs> it, was, no, awesome. it was okay. All right. <laughs> All right. Before we get to our end of show, um, I do have an announcement. And if I was a good podcaster, I would have done this at the beginning. And I realized that after I put it in the show notes, but I didn't want to ruin it. But um, I am going to have a conversation. Uh, one of our regular panelists, Ryan Laxon, uh, who was a CDC ambassador. And when he was, he worked with uh, Dr. Uh, Chris Jensen. Um, and Chris, Dr. Chris Jensen just put out a book recently called After the Mask, A Guide to Caring for Students and Schools. And it, when you were talking, Lee, about the idea of the social emotional well-being of, uh, of students and, and sort of how they are, um, this book just came out. Um, a couple weeks ago, um, and I am going to have him on and possibly some of his co-authors. He has uh, two co-authors who worked with him. Um, uh, it is a super easy read. I say that as somebody who is a very slow reader. Uh, it is a super easy read. It's written very conversationally. Um, he has some years of classroom experience along with being a public health person, along with being an MD. Like it, it's it's in there, and I am about a third of the way through the book right now, um, and I need to I've given myself homework that I have to get it finished before I interview him. Uh, but we're going to be having that conversation and that will be uh, one of our August episodes uh, for Life of the School. So if you, uh, I will put that in the show notes. Um, so cool. if you are thinking about um, social emotional health in this particular time and place, um, you may want to, you want to grab that book as I put this out. Uh, this will come out two weeks before that episode comes out. So if you want to, if you are somebody who is a, even a slow reader, I will tell you, I picked up the book and I read like the first, the introduction and the first two chapters in a single sitting. And I, as I said, a painfully slow reader, but it's written a very conversational style. Um, and it's, it's good. It's, it also does kind of feel like he's writing directly to me. <laughs> like I very, very much have felt very centered <laughs> in the the writing. So, uh, the, the, as he's ri- written it, um, as somebody who's both a parent and a teacher, uh, there is definitely a component and there's also a generational component to it, um, as a Gen Xer who's teaches a lot of Gen Z folks. So, um, so that was great. So, all right. Well, uh, thank you both so much for this conversation. This was awesome. Um, I learned a ton. Um, I took lots of notes. Uh, We didn't get on a side murderino uh, thing, which I had thought about doing with... (laughs) I know. I follow you on Twitter. I know what you're into. (laughs) I forget how much I put out on Twitter. Like maybe I shouldn't just post all my thoughts constantly. <laughs> I honestly, the 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 thing that you wrote was so subtle that I know it, which I think says a lot about me. But <laughs> but 
I got it, but I don't know that I think it went by a lot of folks. So I don't know. That, I, mean, okay. I think you were speaking. Okay, we'll have to talk about what it was. No, no, it was just like it, you talked to Karen. It was something about Karen and Georgia and anxiety, and it, oh. it was a specific yeah, and, teachers. and teachers, and it was a very specific thing, and it pinged a specific way. And as I said, I don't know that it was something that spoke to everybody. I think that it probably mm-hmm. just went by yeah. most people's timelines. And I've dropped it in here an hour and fifteen minutes into a podcast about ungrading, so nobody is listening at this point. <laughs> <laughs> but Murderinos would know. Um, I don't, uh, Lee. I don't even know if this is too inside baseball for you. I don't know if you follow. Yeah, I don't. Yeah. So this is what I'm saying. <laughs> I'm like, what? <laughs> but that's this, a different podcast. Yeah, it's a different podcast. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> but I, I know lots about. Uh, I know lots about you because of that. It was a. We probably have a thing. You probably love the errands too, just like I do. Um, Yes. Yes. <laughs> you know what I'm talking about. Yeah, All right. Well, so thank you. This was such a cool experience. Yeah, this is great. I I I look forward to the further Twitter conversations um and the book that we're going to write in a couple of years um, and uh, <laughs> all the other fun stuff. All right, let me give my uh, show credits. Uh, please subscribe to Life of the School on your podcast player of choice. Uh, you can also get show notes on lifeofthschool.org or you can go to patreon.com slash lots. You can also become a supporter of Life of the School at patreon.com slash lots. You can get early releases of episodes if you go to there and chip in a buck or two a month. Music on this and every episode is provided by Jake Jenkins and X Magicians. Um, and you can follow me on Twitter at Mr. Matthew Tweets, uh, or at Life of the School. You can follow you too. Uh, you, Lee, you're uh, at, are you still at the biospace? I am. At the, the biospace? I am, I am. And Johanna, you're? I'm at Johanna Brown with two N's. And uh, it's a benzene ring, but it, if you type it with an O, it'll, it, it'll show up too. <laughs> yeah. Or you search her, <laughs> which is what I do every time I want to find you on Twitter. <laughs> but uh, I will actually <laughs> tag both of their names in the introduction um, in the show notes uh, to their Twitter bio so you can follow them as well. All right. So thanks for joining us. And I will talk to everybody soon. Bye.